welcome to the monthly Skill Bites show, where we share information that is geared to helping you succeed in your business. This is Judy Weintraub, CEO of Skill Bites and host of this show. If you want to position yourself as an expert, one of the best ways to do that is to become a published author. Skill Bites author platform provides the easiest way to get a book written and published. Today, I am delighted to have with us Rick Simmons, a digital marketing guru and head of Simmons Online Solutions. Rick works closely with small to mid-sized organizations that need help with their internet marketing. With his 30-plus years in sales and marketing, Rick is not only knowledgeable about internet marketing, he's also good at explaining what to do and how to do it. And we have Rick here today to talk about what internet marketing strategies you should be considering for 2016. Welcome, Rick. We're so glad to have you with us. I'm very happy to be here, and thank you for having me on your show. There are so many different internet marketing strategies. It can be overwhelming to figure out which ones to do and then how to do them and how to find the time to do them. But before we get into that, let's start off with some some basic terms. Just what is internet marketing and how does it differ from other types of marketing? Well, to be honest, internet marketing shouldn't be different from what is considered other kinds of marketing. It should be a subset of overall marketing. But unfortunately, the way things are moving, the way the money is moving, it's being considered almost like a, a separate strategy. But the reality is it should all come under the context of marketing. But to get down to what the way that it should be considered 2015 and moving forward, is that it should be a better alignment between what are the possible tools and how those tools can be used within the context of the business goals and objectives. That's what marketing was intended to be all along. However, because there are so many tools available, the conversation has really changed quite a bit, especially over the last 15 years. Hmm. Okay. So can you maybe give an example of some of the variety of um, internet marketing tools? Well, let, let me go, let me start in a different direction in that okay. the reason that it really makes a difference now in the marketing component is it, it has really changed around the dynamics. Prior to the internet, the sellers were really in charge of the brand uh, and how they were going to market. They, they determined where ads were going to appear, uh, in what format, whether it was television or radio, direct mail, those kinds of avenues were all pretty easy and in control of the advertiser or the company. What the Internet has done, and very quickly morphed into exactly the opposite, in that the buyers are now in charge not only of the brand in most cases, but also in the way that you need to market. Because the way that they buy is significantly different than the, than the way that people used to buy even just 15, 20 years ago. And think of how that you used to buy a car 
And that the reason why all the car dealers were lined up next to each other is because you would go from the Ford dealer to the Nissan dealer to the Chevy dealer, and you would check out all the cars. Most people these days might go after they've spent hours and hours checking out the reviews, the availability of what options are, are there, who has the kind of car that they're looking for. Who, they might be able to even pick up the price and get an idea on when they should go to even do a test drive, what time of the month is best to buy a car. So the whole buying dynamic has changed. Unfortunately, many companies haven't embraced that completely yet because the way that you market is very different because the buyers are in charge. So what you need to be is a, an expert, an expert in giving information to the buyers at the time that they're doing the research. And in that way, you can hope that because you are deemed an expert in that field, that they're the one, they come to you when they're ready to make a purchasing decision. Right. Which is all tied in also with writing a book so that you can be that expert and have your, your book found by them when they're looking as well. It is critically important because... So many people are trying to be, quote, unquote, the expert. And if somebody takes the time to really know their subject well enough that they can be uh, put, they can put the information into a book format, it really elevates uh, their prestige. It elevates um, how they're viewed within the marketplace. It, it makes a great deal of difference. And what's interesting now, because of the Internet, you can market that information that you have the book out to a much wider audience. It used to be just who you ran into, or you'd have to get a quote-unquote book deal. Many books are, are, are being read by, oh, it could be 50,000 people, and yet there's 300 million people who have never heard of the book. So 50,000 is tremendous if it's depending on the niche that you're writing the book about. So it opens up huge opportunities. Okay, great. So some of the ways that people or sellers need to get out their expertise, can you share some of the, the tactics besides writing a book? It really goes back to, and this is really kind of funny, it goes back to the fundamentals of marketing. Under, the more that you understand who your market is and how they obtain information about your subject is really the key to understanding where and how you should market. Example, if, I have, if I'm a painter, painters are typically fairly local. Well, it used to be you'd go down the street and you'd put a little flyer when you were doing something in the neighborhood, and that's still being done. But what's being done more and more often is uh, people talk on Facebook in the, in the neighborhood. Have you used a printer or a painter lately? And which one did you use? And what was your experience? And so reviews are critically important. And making it easy for people to talk about you and incenting them to want to talk about you, this word of mouth marketing is so much more important than it was 15, 20 years ago. 
because now you have the tools to disseminate it in a much greater area and much faster. And how do you more fun set it up? How do you set up the ways for them to talk about you? Well, one of the, one of the, the things that I always tell uh, my not only my clients but anybody I meet is, have you gotten reviews? Mm -hmm. Particularly Google reviews, Yelp if it's appropriate. But getting reviews and one of the ways to do that is you have a for every one of your clients send them a link over to where they can put the reviews. Not everybody will do it, but the easier you make it for people, because people, the technology has made people busier as opposed to making life easier. And because they're busier, the easier you make it for people, the more that they will respond to you. So one of the things to do is send them a link to how to do a review. The other thing to do is to incent them. Um, for some people, it may be, a $25 gift certificate um, if, if you get business through X, for example. Um, a download of information that maybe it's difficult for them to get. Uh, my, my cousin posted on Facebook today that her dog got hit by a skunk. Well, if I were a veterinarian, I would be monitoring that and I would be giving out the formula necessary to take away the skunk odor. Now, if I do that, then when she needs a veterinarian, she's going to remember that that vet cared enough to give her the information she needed when she needed it. So listening is way more important than it used to be uh, because you have the tools to do it. So I tell people, set up Google Alerts. Set up listening on all of the social media channels. Uh, Hootsuite. There's a, there's a number of different tools that you can use. But don't you want to be one of the first ones to know if somebody mentions you, good or bad? Particularly bad. But if, if somebody does mention something bad, you certainly want to know about it. And, and then you need to decide whether it's appropriate for you to respond or not. So it gets a lot more complicated, but the way, in some ways it makes it a little more fun. And I know not everybody thinks of marketing as fun, but um, it, it allows people to go back to where they used to be. I worked in a commercial art studio before computers, and there were people there that could draw, and they were just exceptionally talented at being able to make things out of just a plain piece of paper. Nowadays, the creativity comes with the, the methodologies of using the tools, uh, doing a survey, um, things like that, uh, providing information in a different format. It's, it's just a tremendous way of utilizing creativity to get your message out there. It's, it becomes, in some ways, more difficult to, but it's really important to to understand the possibilities in order to do that. So one of the examples I use is two years ago, um, we were telling people that you really should consider having a mobile part of your website. And it should be a completely different part, one just 
designed for mobile devices. Well, nowadays, nobody does a website design without having it mobile friendly. We're in the same situation now where I'm telling people that they should be considering video. There's a lot of studies out there that say, you know, over the next couple of years, and, and there's a difference on uh, opinions on whether it's going to be 2016 or 2018 or whatever, but that the way that people are going to consume information over the Internet is going to be by video. Well, if that's true, and it certainly is lending itself to possibly be that way, then we should all be looking at a video component to our marketing structure now. So I have one video on my website currently. By the end of the month, when my website is redesigned, there's going to be a whole series of videos. We know that if somebody goes to a website and there's a video there, we know that people will click on it. 80% of the time, they'll click on that before they read the word. So it makes sense to, to, to do that. Uh, so we look at what are the things that are trending. Um, so going back to your question, do I have an audience that spends time on Twitter, for example? If so, then I need to decide how much time I want to spend on Twitter and how can I get them to follow me? What kind of information is useful to them? Um, and the same goes with Facebook and, and LinkedIn and some of the more popular tools, but certainly every day there's a new tool that seemingly comes out um, that has potential. So it's a matter of monitoring how your, how your prospects and clients are using the technology. And, and how do you determine that? That's not always easy to do. And it, and it really involves having um, continuous conversation with them. Um, there are some companies, for example, that have done really well with Instagram. There are other companies who their audience doesn't use Instagram. I, I have a client that does movable walls. Well, their clients are architects, predominantly. There's other facets to it, but architects, by and large, aren't using Instagram. They're more, they're more picture, visually oriented, videos, um, pictures, tremendously important to them, samples, very, very important. It can be online samples. Doesn't necessarily have to be, you know, a huge library like some of the architects used to have. But it's really important for them to be visual. But they haven't embraced the Instagram at this point anyway. It doesn't mean that they won't. Um, a good example is Twitter. When Twitter first came out, it was very heavily being used by engineers, for example. Because they know that they could get on there, ask a question, and another engineer could give them an answer. And so I would do presentations at colleges and universities, and nobody was using Twitter. And it was funny, two years ago I asked the same question, and it was the, the students who were also, oh, yeah, we use Twitter all the time. You know, now all of a sudden they've embraced it. They understand the technology. They know how it could impact their life. Um, but as it is, my daughters, who are of that age, are not using Twitter anymore. Not very often. They're using other technologies. So it's a matter of watching. It's a matter of listening. Um, and, and, it, and it takes time. 
Um, there's uh, Mountain Dew just announced that they're doing a whole uh, advertising campaign on Snapchat. My daughters had a, a run of about a year where they were using Snapchat a lot. Now they don't use it at all. So I, I assume Mountain Dew did their uh, homework and checked out the audience and did some homework besides what Snapchat taught them before they decided to put money into what they were doing there. So because there's a preponderance of way many tools than there used to be, it certainly is harder. What are some of the other trends that you've seen besides the mobile-friendly websites, the videos? It, it Probably the biggest trend is how people use the mobile device um, and the different ways. You're starting to see, it, it's really funny to watch, that, that the phones are getting bigger, the tablets are getting smaller, and yet there's the new iPad is bigger. Um, there's, I, I tell people there's three things that are always going to change. One is the search engines themselves and the way that Google and Facebook and, and Twitter are, are going to use the technology. The second is you don't know what your competitors are going to do based on the changes. But the third, and that's what really answers your question, and this is really the hardest one to determine, is what are we as the consumers what are we going to do? How are we going to use the technology? It wasn't that many years ago that in a search engine, people would go and put one and two words. And now you can go to a search engine and you know that if you put in a whole sentence, you'll get an answer. Well, what we're seeing now, and there was, there was a, a study that came out, I think about two weeks ago, where um, mobile devices have passed the laptop in the number of searches being done. So one of the things that I would really uh, suggest people look at is how are they using their mobile device? And here's what it means, not just their website, but one major thing is how about your emails? And Judy, let me ask you a question. Did you check your emails on your mobile phone before you got to your office? No, no, but I checked out my desktop. But the majority, believe it or not, it's gotten to the point where it's now the majority of people have checked their emails on their mobile device before they've gotten to their office. If that's true, and I'm tending to believe that it is, then your emails, your subject line needs to be shortened so that you so that people can read it on their mobile devices. And the kinds of messaging and the kinds of links that you send to people need to be able to be used on a mobile device. So sending someone to a website that doesn't show well on a mobile device would not be a good idea, for example. So understanding how people are using the mobile is a critical component to marketing in the near future. I've gotten emails. Opinion by Rick. <laughs> I'm sorry? Opinion by Rick. Right. I've gotten a lot of emails that are designed, I guess, for um, cell phones because they're only like 
four words per line. Yep. But it looks really strange when you open those emails on a desktop. Yes, it does. That's why you have to know your audience. Also, they should. There are some technologies out there where it will ha automatically have a mobile version of the email. Um, Mailchimp is a good example. When when Mailchimp is sent out, there's automatically produced a mobile version of the mailing that goes out. And that way it looks good on the mobile device as well as looking good on a on a laptop or a desktop. So whichever one people open it on, it still looks appropriate. Yeah, yeah. And that's really important, especially if you're not sure. And especially in this area where it's the technology is changing um, pretty quickly. So it's really important to make sure that that, that happens and that works. Okay, well, you've talked a little bit about some of the fundamentals of knowing who your target market is and where they're spending their time. Are there other fundamentals that we should be aware of when we're considering online marketing? Um, I think so, uh, because there's two different parts to this. One, one is there is a... Uh, the technology allows you to attract people who you want to have come to you. But I know nobody wants to hear this, but email marketing and push out technology is still gets a great response. So one of the things that's critically important is to build your database. How are you going to get more uh, email addresses so that more people will get your information? And, and think that it's more valuable. And the incentive to do that has changed. It used to be you just put a little box there and says, um, sign up for our email newsletter. Well, now people want to find out, what are you going to do with my email address? What does the newsletter look like? You have, you have to earn the right to get people's email addresses. And I think that's appropriate. And on the back end of that is it means that when you send out something to your database, then they're more interested perhaps in getting your information as long as what you're sending them is valuable. It's no longer, um, hey, just wanted to remind you that we're here kind of uh, message. That, that's, that's not appropriate any longer. Uh, it, it needs to be more valuable than that because everybody's time is different. So, so that's a really important. Uh, in my, in my, there are businesses being bought just for their database because it's so valuable. So obtaining the database and putting that together and using it appropriately is, is really, really uh, a value to any company, and it should be. Because they're your prospects and your clients. Mm-hmm. But you need to protect it. It shouldn't be available for you to be able to use for somebody else kind of thing. Um, it, it's really your database. You should, should only use it that way. Right. That I would imagine said, that people would um, be pretty angry if you sold your database and they started getting spammed by other people. 
unfortunately, it's being done all the time. Um, but yeah, um, and so you need to assure people of how you're going to use their name uh, and their and their email address. And I, and I think that's important. And I think that's right. Too. Right. I it's think in Canada, right it's you can get fined now unless you can prove uh, that somebody has truly signed onto your list. And you have to do the, the double opt-in where they sign on and then they have to confirm that they signed on. Exactly right. Exactly right. And, and there's another good reason to do that. Um, and, and it eliminates people who sign up and say they're Mickey Mouse at Comcast.com, you know. So, so having a verification process, it, it, it actually helps the process anyway. Um, so we're a big proponent of that dob double opt-in. Um, even though in the United States it's not it's not required, it's not a bad idea anyway. Mm -hmm. We like it. Okay. Other fundamentals? Well, I think the other fundamental is having your house in order. And here's what I mean by that. Um, your website is still your foundation. People will still want to go back and see what you're all about. So too often I see people who have websites that are six, seven, eight years old, and it doesn't truly tell their story. And it looks, and people know when you get to a website, for the most part, that it is six and seven years old. And what it means to a lot of people is that you didn't care enough to fix your front door. Your website really is your front door to business. And the way to view your website is, what is the kind of information that people need to have in order to determine whether they're going to do business with me? And that's fundamentally different than a quote-unquote just a true marketing website. Because very many people have what I call a validation website. And it validates them as a real business. And some of the things that people need in order to determine whether they're going to buy from you is very different than the kinds of things that, for example, a restaurant needs. A restaurant needs uh, a menu so people can see what kind of food. It needs to have a location, directions. A critical component of a restaurant is reviews. Reviews that look like they're third party. Whereas a website where you help people in their business because it's critically important to write a book, it might be the success that people have had um, when they've gone through the process and have written the book with your assistance. Okay, that is the kind of information I need to know. What, where, where's the validation? It, it may be for a uh, internet marketing company, maybe what have you done? Uh, ha did you make a change in somebody's email marketing and got a 20% more open rate, for example? So they're the kinds of things. So you need to know what information is necessary for the buyer in order to go further in their buying decision. And so understanding that really makes a big difference. When, when I was doing a lot of work for colleges and universities, 
the rule of thumb is that people would come to the college and university website as many as seven to ten times before they would engage a conversation with admissions or anybody else at the university. We found that if we made it easier for people to inquire, that we could cut it down to as much as five. Now, that may not sound like a big number, but what it did was it, it allowed the college or university to have an earlier conversation. The earlier the conversation in the buying decision, the greater likelihood they were to actually attending that college or university by a lot. So, so and, and think about how much money, having, having spent all of this over the last nine years, think about how much money it is to send someone to a college or university. So it is worth a tremendous amount of money to have that conversation earlier on. So what does it take in order to do that? What, and sometimes it, it, it's, it's easy things. We found that if we put the inquiry little box um, on more of the pages as they're searching through information about the college and university, that more people actually clicked on it. We know, for example, that a lot of people go to the About Us section of a website. If you put on the bottom of the About Us section of the website a link over to Contact Me, um, now that you've read all about who we are and what we do, if you'd like further information, click right here. Instead of forcing them to go up to the navigation and click the contact button. Now, I know that sounds silly, but it makes a huge difference in how many people will actually click and take the time to contact you. Hmm. Once again, the easier you make for the prospects, the readers, the clients, the, the better off you are. The other part that of that, sense. Judy, is you now have the technology to take some of, some of the, the things that were typically done as a, an offshoot of marketing and make it a, a, a critical component. And a good example is here right in Philadelphia where we have Comcast. And Comcast was being criticized tremendously for the customer service. They opened up a whole department called a listening department initially. And what it did is it listened on all kinds of uh, social media. And to this day, if you're having a problem with Comcast and maybe you've called, maybe they didn't show up on time, whatever the case may be, put it out on Twitter or Facebook or LinkedIn, and they will call you because they're monitoring. So the kinds of things that would typically fall under, for example, customer service and feedback, all can be done now using the same technology that you're using that might be considered more of a marketing function. It all is intertwined now. Just the same way that in a lot of companies, the PR division was different than the marketing department, even though they might fall under the same vice president. The way that PR is done now, it falls right within the whole realm of internet marketing. How do you market your book? 
We want more people to talk about it. And really, the goal of marketing now is how many people can you get to talk about your stuff? In other words, your happy clients become your ambassadors. So it's really important to make sure that, first of all, your clients are happy, but second of all, to keep engaged. The biggest issue I have with social media is that it has not fulfilled its promise of being social. A lot of companies are using Twitter and, and some of the other uh, avenues, more of what I call billboards. Here's what we're doing. Here's information I got from somebody else. It's not really trying to be social. And the way that people want to be sold to is, I want you to care enough about me that I want to do business with you. And that can only be done in a social environment. And we have the tools to do it. It takes so much time. How do you find the time to do it all? Um, what I tell people is, do the things you'd like to do. And here's what I mean by that. There are some people who love to write. So for those people, writing uh, maybe a blog, uh, it, it might be doing articles on LinkedIn, depending on where your prospects are, but it, it's really doing those things. So for example, myself, I enjoy doing uh, presentations, which is one of the reasons why my new website is going to be a lot more video. We're looking into setting up a studio so that I can turn my blog, because I'm really not set up in my brain to be a writer, um, though I know you and I are going to work on my book, I know that we're going to set up a studio so that my blog can become a video blog, vlog, which I find mm -hmm. a silly term, but that's just me, um, because that's what I enjoy doing, and that's how I can express myself in a better way. Because if you have people and find out what they like to do, as long as it's appropriate for the market, then they'll do it more often. And what I tell people is don't try and do everything at once. Do learn how to do marketing on, for example, LinkedIn. And do just LinkedIn for two months. And monitor your results. Make sure you did it right. And then if you're not getting the kind of results that you're looking for, go over to Facebook and look at all of the different ways that you can do Facebook. If you've done them right, are you getting better results? And, there's, and that goes for many of the other tools that we're talking about. So, so Judy, what I like to do is tell people to do what they like to do because they'll do it more often. Mm -hmm. uh, that's just my thought. Okay, and if you really don't want to do marketing and you're looking to hire somebody to do it for you, what should you look for? How do you determine if you're if somebody is the right person for you? I think part of it is the questions that they're asking you, and this is this is going to sound harsh, but I think it's true. If if you're looking for a firm to come in and really look at all the alternatives, 
you shouldn't invite, for example, a design firm. You shouldn't invite a branding company. You shouldn't invite an SEO company because they're going to sell you what's in their bag of solutions. So that doesn't mean that there aren't times when that's appropriate. If, if you know that people are, for example, searching for your things online and what you really believe you need is an SEO company, then that's who you should go and talk to. But you want to talk about success. Who have they worked with? Can I, do you have references? What, what are your methodologies? So, for example, an SEO firm, you want to make sure that the, the, the methods that they're using are widely accepted methods, that they're not doing what we call black hat, where it might work for a short period of time, but if they get caught, then it's going to be a problem for you. That doesn't help you long term. And that's another key aspect. It used to be uh, 10, 12 years ago, even probably as little as six years ago, it was possible to get internet marketing results very quickly. We could get people on page one literally within a month or two. It is much more difficult to do that. There's a lot of competitors. Now, that doesn't mean that there's other things you can't do because you can do paid advertising. You now can do paid advertising with video on, on Facebook, for example. If, in fact, your target audience is using Facebook and you have the kinds of things to sell that people are looking on Facebook and might be attracted to. So it, it, and it's, what I tell people is the Internet is part art and part science. The science part is we know what has worked in the past and, and how to do that. We don't necessarily know in the future how people are going to react to the new way, new things that are coming out. So that's part art and part science. Um, let me tell you a quick story. Mm -hmm. uh, in my last firm, we were doing work for a wine store over in New Jersey. In New Jersey, you could actually order wine and have it delivered to your house legally without any problem whatsoever. If you look under all of the available terms that contain the word wine, the list is hundreds and hundreds of possible keyword uh, combinations. So how do you cull through all of those words to figure out which ones will have the most impact? So up front, I'm going to tell you it took us over a month and a half to figure this out. And the second part of the story is it doesn't always make sense. So we found that the keyword buy wine online, which was confusing to me because I'm already online, I know that I'm buying, so why would I search buy wine online? And the second one was buy liquor online because I personally don't think of wine as a liquor. But when we got them on page one of buy wine online and buy liquor online, their sales went from $3,000 a month to $30,000 a month just off the internet. Wow. And you have to be really creative to figure something like that out. And like I said, it doesn't always make sense. I have a roofer who swears that people use the zip code to look up 
how they're going to find a new roofing company. And as much as I tried to show him that's not how they do it, he's convinced because that's how he searches. Hmm. And that so how do you different. find out the keywords? Well, we look for indicators. And, and one, of the, one of the easy tools is your Google Analytics. Uh, and you can, you can actually put into your Google Analytics possible terms. Now, they're trying to get you to buy advertising on Google, so they'll give you a lot of information. So, for example, I can put in there, um, help writing a book. And it'll tell me how many people search that term per month. And it'll also tell me what, how many other competitors are within that term. Right. Now, now there are a lot of other things. keyword searches too, right? Oh, oh, it'll give you a whole list of alternative keyword strategies. Mm -hmm. um, so it's really a combination of are the keywords appropriate and then how competitive is it? So what you look for, and it's not always easy to find, is what are the terms that the buyers are using versus what are the terms that what I call the, the tire kickers are using? Because we find that the buyers might be using a different set of terms than people who are early on in their search process. Example, if it might be restaurant in Philadelphia versus best Italian restaurant in South Philadelphia. Well, if I know I'm going to South Philadelphia and I want the best Italian restaurant in South Philadelphia, I'm closer to a buying decision. But I, I've already determined a lot of facets of my search. Whereas best restaurant in Philadelphia, or even restaurant in Philadelphia, I'm still early on. I still haven't even determined what, what genre I'm in. <laughs> mm -hmm. So it's, it's really learning the difference between keywords and what, what I call money words. What are, what are the words that are actually going to make a difference in your bottom line? That, that those people who are now... Remember, we talked about the buyers. They're further along the buying process. And so coming up as they're searching further down the process is wonderful. But one of the things we look for is, is there a particular niche that, number one, people search for that is underserved? A, a really good example of that is when people come home from the doctor and they have some kind of diagnosis, one of the very first things that we know that they do is they take that really long word that the doctor gave them, that they made them write down, and they look it up. Well, if I'm trying to sell a drug or a device or something that helps people with that particular malady, then I want to make sure I show up. But that's really niche. However, and, and there maybe there's only 50 people a month who search on that particular thing. But if they're searching on that, they're really far along the buying process. To even just know the term, they have to be far along the buying process. So going back to that keyword analytics tool is a really good starting point to start to figure out where you want to um, the kinds of terminology you want to use in your website, in your social media offerings, in your content, 
because knowing how people refer to you and how they're looking for information about the things that you do is really important so that you can be more prominent as they're using those terms to look for information. Is Google Analytics um, the tool that you use for that, or are there other tools that you like as much? It's a starting point, and uh, it, it is one. The first thing you have to remember is, even though Google is, it's good to be the king, it's, it's still not 100% of how people are searching. People are using Comcast and Yahoo and Bing and all these other. So it's only an indicator. Um, it's a strong indicator. It's, you know, depending on the month, anywhere from 65 to 70% of, the, uh, of the, the people who are searching. But the other thing to remember is if, you're, if you're, you have a product outside the United States, there are areas where Google is, is not the number one. Um, so there are many other tools, but let's not get let's not get outside of the United States. So a, a, a tool that I like is called SEMrush, S-E-M-R-U-S-H. And yes, there's a free component, there's a paid component because I'm using it all the time. I have a paid component. In SEMrush, it will tell me I can put in there a URL, and it'll tell me everywhere that my all the keywords where I come up in the first two pages. Because if it's after page two, it, it's much, much, much less important. So it'll tell me where I come up now. More importantly, I can put in the URL of my competitor and find out where they come up. And I could put in many competitors and, and see where they come up. So it'll start to give me other indications of other keywords that I might want to consider. So I find that one very valuable as well. Okay. The other tool I think is, is really kind of fun, um, and it's got a really interesting name, uh, will give you some really good information about your own website. And it's called WooRank. Love that term. W-O-O -O rank. And what the tool does is that it'll it'll analyze your whatever URL you put in there. So it'll analyze the website, and it'll tell you the things that are stopping it from being even better performing. So it'll tell you, for example, whether your site loads slowly. Speed of load speed is becoming a very important part of uh, Google's algorithm. It'll tell you whether the mobile works appropriately. It'll tell you how, how well you're using keywords. Um, it'll tell you whether there's something missing, um, like, a, like a site map, for example. Uh, it'll tell you if there's broken links. So it, it's really a pretty good tool to get an idea of whether your foundation is as strong as it could be. Is that a free tool as well? Um, you know, I wish I... I there may be a free component to it. That's another one where I use it often enough where I, I have an account with them. Mm -hmm. um, but it's not. It's very inexpensive. Um, and, and even SEMrush is very inexpensive. But, but I think they each have a free component to them. Um, and I'm a big believer I like free stuff. Yeah, yeah, I do too. 
any other great uh, tools that um, you want to let us know about? There are the three that I probably spend the most time with. Um, and then it just depends on, on what's needed. I, I, I use a lot of what I call listening tools. And probably the two that I like the most, uh, one is Google Alerts, uh, whereby you can put in the keyword phrases in there and it, Google will send you anything new that contains those keywords. You put quotes around it so you make sure that it includes all the words. Um, and, and it'll send it to you on whatever, uh, how often you want it. Uh, I have some that are sent weekly, some that are sent daily. Uh, but it'll send it to you with a link over to what this new, it could be a blog post, it could be a new website, it could be a lot of other things. But it'll automatically send it to you. I like things being sent to me. I don't have to go out and work for it as hard. Um, so that's one. The other one I like is Hootsuite. Hootsuite's a free tool. Uh, there's a component. There's a, Hootsuite is in the cloud. There's another one that, that Twitter owns called TweetDeck. They're fairly similar in the, in the way that they work. Um, I like cloud-based tools because then I can be anywhere. But in Hootsuite, I can also put those keywords in there, and I can monitor if there's a conversation around those keywords, for example. Um, so we had a client a few years ago was coming out with a product that was pertinent to folks who are experiencing autism in their family. And so we were monitoring uh, using Hootsuite, different components of autism. What we found is that there was a huge amount of conversation around the whole subject of autism. Now, what we told the client is, become part of the conversation. Don't just go out there and start advertising because they're using Twitter because they're want wanting to have new information and conversation. They're, they're, they're going to turn you off if you go out there and just start to advertise. So become part of the conversation. And because they've self-identified themselves by the kinds of words that they're using online. So it makes it kind of fun and interesting. Do you have any guidance for us on how much time you would suggest that a business spend doing internet marketing? And maybe yeah, and it's not how much easy, money? It's not an easy answer. Um, and, it, and it really comes down to value. Um, what is the value that you're getting out of the time that you're spending? And it's monitoring the results of your actions. Uh, one of the things that Google Analytics will tell you is how many people came to your site, um, a thing called a bounce rate, and many, many other things. And what I tell people is it's, it's okay to look at it once, but it's really more interesting to look at it over time because you can see that if you did, if you went somewhere and did a presentation, did all of a sudden the number of people coming to your website peak? So it's, it's monitoring over time. So I think the listening tools are a critical component. There's, a, there's also uh, a website called Clout, K-L-O-U-T, that will, you can put your URL in there and it will tell you 
based on all, all the many factors, and it will go into explanation there, on what your cloud is. What is, what is your footprint on the Internet? How, how widely are, are you known? How widely are you discussed? How, how widely are, are people talking about you? Um, so over time, a lot of these tools need to be looked at over time instead of just a snapshot. And, and unfortunately, it's very common where I'll talk to people and they'll say, yeah, we looked at our analytics and six months later they may have looked again. And what I tell people is look on a more regular basis, at least once a month, and let's look at, you can determine are there days of the week that people are looking at your website. And if so, then that's the kind of information that'll tell you when you should be more active, perhaps, in social media, for example. So, Judy, to get back to your question, it, it's where where's the value of your time? For some companies, it, it makes more sense to outsource to somebody for a couple hundred dollars a month and monitor the results of that rather than having somebody spend the time to learn how to do it right, only to find out four or five months later that their prospects aren't using that particular tool very much. So the value that they got back wasn't commensurate with, with the time spent. Um, right. So, you know, it, it's... It's, it's not an easy answer, <laughs> I guess what I'm trying to get at, and where's the value. So uh, I know that there are people who spend an hour a day just on LinkedIn. And for the kinds of things that they do, it's probably appropriate. For other folks, if they have someone who can do it, it may make sense to spend time on Facebook. Uh, where I live, there's a, uh, a Facebook group that was formed a couple years ago um, over a particular topic within the school district, but it still maintains its presence, and it's very, very active. And it's not uncommon where somebody will go up on the, and there's 17, 1,800 people who are all within five miles of my house. So if I am a painter, a plumber, Somebody who is working in that area, and that's a big part of my business, I want to monitor that Facebook because if somebody says, uh, I, I have a leaky pipe or my, my pipe just burst, I need somebody immediately, I want to make sure that somebody's monitoring that so they can get back and say, here's who can take care of it immediately. This is, right. this is your emergency number. Um, it's not uncommon where people will go on to this this group and say, uh, I need a, an outside painter. Who do you recommend? Okay. So I, I would make We're sure getting that... close to the end of our hour. I'm wondering well, if time you Time flies when just... you're having fun. Yes, it does. If you can address how do we determine, what are the metrics that we should be considering to determine if what we're doing is working? Well, to me, and this is from a sales background, that I sell more stuff because of my activities. It really comes down to dollars and cents. Now, there are, there are times when you're not really doing it for the dollars and cents, 
uh, it, it might be a nonprofit, or it might be that you're promoting a book, for example. But for most of the reasons that people are writing a book or they're doing other things, it really comes down to, did I sell more stuff? Right, but Ken, you had mentioned earlier that you should, we should Go do ahead. it for two months. Are you likely to see a, a jump in sales from just two months? That may not be the metric. The metric after two months may be, did I drive more people to my website? Did more people learn about me? Your sales cycle may take six months before somebody, from when they know about you to when they actually engage with you. So for some people, it may, it, you may have to look at activity. Did it increase the activity around my, around my uh, website? And if so, then I at least have an indicator that there might be more people interested so that six months from now, I might sell more stuff. Okay, great. Well, Rick, thank you so much for being on the call today. If people want to get in touch with you, can you provide your contact information? The easiest is Rick, R-I-C-K, at Simmons Online Solutions, solutions with an S, dot com. And I respond, I, I am checking my emails all the time, and you'll get a response within 24 hours. Great. And I understand that you have a really valuable uh, worksheet that you are offering to my audience. I, I am happy to offer this. I do enough uh, website development work, because I think that's part of marketing, that I've put together what uh, we call a website design prep sheet. And what it does, it asks the questions that helps you organize your thoughts before you talk to a designer about what your needs are in either a new or a redesigned website. And I'm offering that to anybody who just asks for it. Okay, so they should ask by emailing you? That'd be great. That's that's Because I'm going to have to email it back to them. Cause it's, it's in a digital format. It's about three pages long. Great. Well, thanks again. Uh, I certainly learned a lot, and I'm sure that um, my audience did as well. You've covered a lot of ground in a very short period of time. Well, Judy, I thank you. can't thank you enough for inviting me, and, and I look forward to uh, helping anyone who, who reaches out, even with a question. Not a problem. Excellent. I wanted to let everybody know that our next show will be on October 21st. Our guest will be Kim Manson-Williams, who is the founder of Kim Manson Graphic Design and also the author of a book called Illogical Success. Kim is going to discuss the importance of a speaker one sheet as the key marketing collateral for anyone seeking speaking engagements. She's going to walk us through the basics of the one sheet, starting with what is a speaker one sheet, why do you need one, what elements should be included, and what should be avoided. So save the date, October 21st, for learning all about speaker one sheets. Thank you very much, and we'll see you next month. 